0: Hello, and welcome back to the Discovering Humanity and Health podcast. I'm your host, Shree, and today we have a special guest with us, Dr. Serena Chen. Dr. Chen, would you be able to introduce yourself for us? Sure. I like to go by
1: Serena H. Chen because that's in the H is my middle initial. It stands for high maintenance, <laughs> and it's on all my social media handles. So, and apparently there are other Dr. Serena Chen, so that's why I do that. I, I'm a reproductive endocrinologist. I'm in New Jersey. I'm the director of reproductive medicine at Barnabas Medical Center and Jersey City Medical Center. And uh, I'm a clinical associate professor at both Rutgers Medical Schools. We have two medical schools in New Jersey, both named Rutgers, Rutgers, New Jersey, and Rutgers Robert Wood Johnson. Um, and, you know, I do all things fertility.
0: So so that leads me into my second question. What made you interested in becoming a fertility doctor? And what were some of the steps that you took to become a fertility doctor? So this was
1: not easy because my parents were both physicians and one was a pediatrician, the other was a general surgeon. And so in the beginning, I rebelled and I said, I didn't want to go to medical school, but ultimately I was really drawn to biology and medicine and I just couldn't stay away. So I went to medical school, so many interesting things. Uh, it was really hard to decide, but when I did my rotation on OBGYN, um, one day there was an emergency and everybody got called off labor and delivery and somebody's baby just popped out and I had to catch it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. I want to do. I, this is what I want to do. And it, it also was just, um, really wonderful relationships. Like I really related to the people that they were very positive and, and, and I just really enjoyed being part of the team and and the, the fact that OBGYN has um, primary care and preventative care, but also surgical procedures and just like catching babies. It was just super fun. Um, and then once I became a resident, I became fascinated with reproductive medicine and, you know, test tube babies, I just thought that was fascinating. There was so much going on, so much science, moving so rapidly and being implemented. Um, And it's still true to today. So uh, I think I probably could have done any of the specialties, but I'm really uh, excited and happy about being a, a fertility specialist.
0: That's so cool to hear. Um, So the organization that I founded, Humanity and Health, is very focused on uncovering the disparities that surround healthcare. So I wanted to ask you, are there any disparities in particular that you've noticed as a fertility doctor? And an example could just be like um, a certain amount of diagnosis among a demographic for any ailments. So this
1: is an area I talk about a lot because we have despite being one of the richest nations in the world, we are not doing well with women's health. Women's health is, um, we it, medicine is still kind of a patriarchal system and there are less resources, less support, less funding, less reimbursement for anything having to do women's health and our our very poor maternal mortality rates are, you know, a direct result of those things and fertility in particular. I mean, what could be three, what could be more important than, you know, having a family reproducing, you know, well, like beyond survival, that is kind of, you know, a basic uh, human endeavor that, you know, we want to, you know, continue the, the human race. And yet, you know, reproduction and fertility treatment is treated like it's, I don't know, cosmetic elective plastic surgery. And reimbursements are non existent to poor in more than half the population, more for more than half of Americans. And we do not see this in other developed nations. Other developed nations really support family building. And we we do see significant consequences when you don't cover fertility treatment. Um, you save a tiny bit of money up front, and you you know, but you're you're losing a tremendous amount of money as well as um, lives and health on the back end because we have the ability to. Um, you know, alleviate suffering to get people to pregnancy in the safest possible ways to lower the risk for miscarriage, to improve um, outcomes, uh, to decrease the risks for depression, anxiety, divorce, all the kind of mental health consequences we see from struggling with fertility. So there, we have a lot of work to do to improve access and to address inequities in the United States. So we're seeing even people who are, um, you know, just in the middle class have, uh, are making a very good living, often still have trouble accessing this care. And then if you're lower income, it's, it's almost impossible. So um, that's been something that um, I've been working on a lot. We're doing pretty well in New Jersey. We have some laws to help uh, mandate coverage. Uh, and a lot of uh, big companies are realizing that this is a great way to recruit and retain talented professionals is to provide really good fertility benefits like egg freezing and in vitro fertilization. But there's still, we have such a long way to go. And now with Roe v. Wade, being overturned, it's an even bigger battle because um, a lot of the forces that are against um, abortion access are also against contraceptive access and against fertility care access. So we really are, I'm so glad you're talking about this because you guys are the future of medicine and you know to educate yourself and to learn how to be proactive in this area is going to make a huge difference for yourself you know and for your patients
0: yeah it's crazy that you talk about that was just a few days ago i was scrolling on social media and the stark difference between the way our country treats expecting mothers or um, people who have fertility issues versus other countries who actually provide a lot of mothers with support and encourages people in different, more beneficial ways, such as giving free like education classes on how to take care of your baby. Or like I've seen some countries even provide like makeshift cribs to new mothers versus our country who takes such like politically charged counteractive approaches to ensure reproduction. It's just kind of crazy to me to see and recognize those disparities across the board. Yeah, and it affects
1: men as well because uh, you know, I mean, new parents should need time and support in order to like adjust to a new baby and to make sure that you know everybody's recovering well and and we don't we don't support fathers or mothers really very well in that area. So I'm I'm so glad you're talking about this stuff.
0: Um, I also wanted to ask you, because um, as a fertility doctor, you probably have the most perspective on how these politically charged decisions directly impact your care and your practice as a physician. And just the other day, I was taking a classics course where we studied the Hippocratic Oath in the original manuscript. So it's just crazy to me how we are expecting such physicians to be burdened with that kind of weight. And making these medical decisions. So I just wanted to ask, how do you um, deal with that? And how has this affected your practice in any way? So
1: we're lucky in New Jersey that nobody is threatening to throw us in jail for taking care of our patients. And I have so many colleagues across the country that are literally walking on eggshells trying to make already very difficult decisions to help take care of their patients and then having this other legislative layer of, of worrying about is their license at stake is are they in danger of being thrown into jail for like just taking care of a patient and and it's it just kind of crazy because we talk about abortion access abortion is you know commonly people automatically think it's termination of an elective you know, viable, unwanted pregnancy. And yet this impacts all pregnancy care, honestly. So, and most um, of these types of procedures are actually done for medical indications and not just for elective termination. And uh, so that has been a huge, huge challenge. It's almost as if we are saying, um, like if somebody needed an appendectomy, if the person wasn't actively dying and you took out their appendix, then you could be thrown in jail. And, you know, if, if if it was appendectomies we were talking about, we wouldn't really have an issue because everybody knows, you know, well, you want to take the appendix out when the patient still looks pretty good. So you have the lowest risk of complications. And, you know, this is how we're taught to try to You know, reduce morbidity and mortality as much as possible. And yet, because of the way this legislation is written uh, and interpreted, it's a very different framework from how medicine is practiced. And it has created these huge conflicts and tremendous hardship uh, all across the country, not just for patients, but for also for new doctors in training, trying to get the the skills and the knowledge that they need to be able to handle emergencies and take care of patients. So, um, it it has truly, truly been a challenge, and that's why we've we've started Doctors for Fertility. I hope you'll follow us on social media. Maybe we'll include that in the notes. As we would love everybody to join our email list. Maybe think about becoming a member, especially um, future doctors, because we know you know, you're, you're really our hope for the future, that we, there's a lot of things wrong with our healthcare system. And I'm very optimistic that you guys are, are gonna make a difference, you know.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> I was actually just gonna ask you because you mentioned that you were an associate professor, how has this changed the way that people are now being taught medicine, if there has been any change at all?
1: Everybody is asking about it. Um, People are uh, are just are wondering, you know, how does this impact healthcare? A lot of people do not understand. A lot of doctors don't understand. So we do want, um, you know, everybody to be educated about that. So, you know, hopefully that's part of our mission at Doctors for Fertility, to just educate people. We're seeing, you know, we're getting phone calls from all over the country because New Jersey has, we do, have, our, we don't have restrictions. Our governor has passed extra legislation to try to protect physicians and patients in the state uh, from uh, being prosecuted or extradited to other states. And um, so we are getting calls from all over the country about you know, uh, residents needing to try to get family planning training and contraception and, and miscarriage care, all of these kinds of things. And, and it's really been challenging because you know it, it it already takes so many resources just to train our own residents and then and then to try to train all these other residents in these other states is has been really challenging the american college of OBGYN is actively working on it but it is it is really concerning people uh, people i think are are really truly their education is definitely being impacted
0: Yeah, and on that note, do you have any advice for future healthcare professionals on how to counter these things and um, just work to actively change what's been going on regarding healthcare? Yes, I
1: think, you know, I think as physicians and as physicians-to-be, we have a special, um, you know, repertoire of knowledge about healthcare and healthcare issues and how healthcare works. And I think you don't realize the power of that knowledge and that insight and your voice. And I would love for everybody, all of your audience um, and you, as you go forward into becoming a medical student and a resident and an attending physician to realize that this, this, not to keep this incredible knowledge, which is a huge resource to yourself. Yes, you are going to see patients and you're going to save lives and help people and heal people, but your voice through things like social media and lectures and just conversations and even, you know, picking up the phone or sending an email to your legislator, like, listen, I hear this going on in Texas. I hope this doesn't happen in Michigan or, or, you know, wherever I am these as a, as a, pre-med, as a medical student, as a physician, these, and a constituent, these things are really important to me and to my patients and to your constituents. Um, I think we don't, we in healthcare do not speak up enough. And I've been guilty of it, believe me, I've been very guilty of it. And, and it took this whole Roe v. Wade thing really to like, just say, I have to become more politically active as physicians. I think we tend to stay away from politics. We feel like, you know, we're trying to save the world doing our own thing. But, but that is a waste of a resource. We are a huge resource and people really do want to hear from us and really value our expertise. I think it's till I started getting involved and talking with legislators and lobbyists and activists uh, and people in the political arena, I did not realize how little people know and how much we can add to their knowledge and education and really make a difference as people are formulating these laws and coming up with policies and voting. Um, you know, when it comes to healthcare, most of our politicians are just wandering around in the dark and, and, even though you're not even medical school yet you already have so much knowledge that could be helpful to them so i want, i just i would like everybody to understand that that power that they have it's it's huge it's a huge resource and you can use it for good not just one patient at a time but using you know your voice like this is a wonderful platform saying i'm going to do a podcast i'm going to reach a bunch of people i think that's amazing
0: Thank you. (laughs) That was very insightful. And sometimes it's like refreshing to hear that we actually do have power and our votes aren't going to waste and we can make a difference because sometimes with everything going on, it just feels so impossible. But I think that's
1: three. Think (laughs) about the midterm elections. You know, Uh, Biden's popularity is dropping. The economy is tanking. Inflation is rising. And yet we got so many pro-choice measures protected or advanced in an election where people thought it it was going to be 100% about the economy and the fact that so many women voters, so many young voters, new registrants came out and said, no, we have to talk about this too. This is all, that was huge. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it just gives me so much hope. I think we have to we have to keep, you know, talking about it because it, it really, we can really see it. It truly is making a difference.
0: Yes. <laughs> and on that note, I would like to thank you so much for sharing your experiences and advice on this podcast. It was truly a pleasure speaking to you.
1: Same here, Sri. I'm so uh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: And that concludes this episode of Discovering Humanity and Health. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to check out other episodes at www.humanityandhealth.org.